Welcome to a slightly different version of the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Beacon. Usually our healthcare experts, John McDonough and Paul Haddis, interview their own guests. But today I'm going to turn the tables on them and interview them about what's perhaps the biggest drama unfolding on the Massachusetts healthcare scene, the apparent financial demise of Steward Healthcare. There are many facets to this story, but let's start with the most obvious one. We don't know really all that much about what's going on. This story started with whispers of trouble at Steward. Several people, in fact, called me saying something big was going on, but they didn't have details. I called officials in the Healy administration and in the legislature, but they were all tight-lipped. Even after the Boston Globe broke the story in mid-January, there wasn't a whole lot of substance to it other than a lot of fear and a lot of gloom and doom. That's continued right along to this very day and why bits and pieces of this story are emerging from odd corners. So let's dig into how we got here and where we should go to get out of here. Let's start with a little history of Stuart. And John, how about you start us off with that? Okay, thanks, Bruce. And great to be here with my colleague, Paul. Thanks for inviting us. So once upon a time, there was a Catholic acute care hospital chain known as Caritas Christi that was owned by the Archdiocese of Boston, six acute care hospitals, prominently St. Elizabeth's in Brighton. And there was also around the time of 2008, a relatively famous heart surgeon at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Dr. Ralph De La Torre, who had grand ideas uh, saying publicly, my goal is to fix healthcare. And he ended up becoming in 2008, the CEO of the Caritas Christi Hospital Network and continued under that name until 2010, when De La Torre announced a relationship with a private equity financing firm out of New York known as Cerberus Capital Management. Cerberus, by the way, refers to the three-headed dog that guards the gates of hell, which is ironic to have the archdiocese basically sell their acute care hospital chain to such an outfit. And that's what happened in the year 2010. Cerberus paid 246 million in cash and borrowed another 650 million debt that was borrowed against the business itself for uh, about $895 million sale price. And Cerberus renamed Caritas Christi into Steward. And Steward continued to grow for the first five years as part of the deal, because the deal required the approval of the Massachusetts Attorney General. Uh, Steward was under financial oversight by financial experts, particularly Nancy Kane from the Harvard School of Public Health, where I work, um, and did regular reporting, but that relationship ended, the oversight ended after five years, so in 2015. And so in 2016, um, Steward with Cerberus took some sharp turns in surprising directions, and I'll hand it over to Paul to give us that part of the story. Thanks, John. Thanks, Bruce, for inviting us. Let, let, let's see if uh, we can help our audience understand what's happened from 2016 until now. And I'll, and I'll try to do it by, by looking at major themes of, of what's occurred. 
2016, uh, Medical Properties Trust enters the scene by paying $1.2 billion for then Stewart's properties, primarily at that point in Massachusetts. And, and the way that MPT, which is a real estate investment trust, its particular business model is that it gives money to the owner of those assets initially, but then leases them back. So in, in this case, Stewart agreed to make a series of lease payments, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars a year for, for a number of years. And and the other interesting thing about Stewart is that he used the proceeds not to invest in updating its hospitals, but to go out and buy other hospitals, such that by some academics who were writing in 2022 summarized it at that point in time, MPT, because it makes other investments in Stewart along the way to help with these purchases of hospitals, had invested maybe $4.5 billion. And in return, by a couple of years ago, Stewart uh, was making lease payments back, which uh, which now I estimate, based on updating of, of some financials that have come to light, about they've paid back as of last September 30th about 1.75 billion or so in lease payments. Problem for stores that got into financial trouble. It was true when they were initially cured as Christie, but things have not gotten better. Before COVID, they were losing a couple hundred million dollars a year for some of those years. During 2020, the height of COVID. While many hospital systems broke even after government support, Stewart lost 400 million even after government support. So it really could not bear the financial cost of continuing this lease payment. So that all resulted in really the financial challenge that Stewart faces today. MPT to try to help them uh, is only asking them since last fall to maybe only pay 25% of the agreed upon lease payment levels. And they've also given them some additional bridge monies. The hope is, is that Stewart can get on uh, its own financial footing through some sales um, of things that it owns. But I think I, I, will, I will stop there, Bruce, if, if that's helpful to at least give a background of where we're at. That's very helpful. There's a couple things about this history that I'm fascinated with. Um, one is that there's this portrayal of Ralph De La Torre that about on his yachts and what have you, that he's sort of personally leveraged all of this money shifting into his wallet, basically a large chunk of it. And I'm, I'm just trying to understand is the perception that medical properties trusts and steward were sort of in some sort of scheme together or was medical properties trust just doing its usual good bargain and steward couldn't live up to its end of it? What do you two think about that? John, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think that it is a, um, a conspiracy of sorts. I think that at various points, steward has always been central to it. At certain points, it's been Cerberus that has been more in the driver's seat. And at other times, it's been MPT. More recently, in the latter half of the story, MPT, uh, Cerberus drops out around 2021 and sells out and walks away with, I think, a final profit in the neighborhood of about $800 million. And so I, I believe the pattern from what I've seen and what I understand is that at every stage where there is a deal, Ralph gets part of it in terms of dividends for himself. Uh, and that's how he's able, according to Brian McGurry from the Globe, to own not one but two yachts. And just announced today by Brian McGurry again, uh, he doesn't own one jet, he owns two. 
um, that are quite substantial and quite luxurious. Mm -hmm. So there is this sense of Ralph De La Torre, the heart surgeon with the innovative streak who cares and who at some point in those early years um, really gets his head turned around by the private equity operators at Cerberus Capital Management. And then it all becomes, once the attorney general's direct oversight is gone, they stop reporting financials at all to the state. Um, they start buying up hospitals around the country. Uh, they engage in all kinds of speculative deals um, that end up giving them short-term wins and then longer-term losses. And several people have said, this is a big Ponzi scheme. Um, you just keep gathering debt, but you keep adding new hospitals in your debt accumulation. And it looks like you are a big success. There was a point, I think it was just about three or four years ago, after one of their deals, where all of a sudden, voila, Stewart was the largest private hospital chain in the entire United States. And now it's all crumbling because they came to the end. I think it's pretty clear that they suffered a devastating blow during COVID because during COVID, all of a sudden, they couldn't do their surgeries and their hospitals thrive by doing the surgeries. And when that got taken, all of a sudden, that was a financial blow to the gut for them, but that they might not have suffered as seriously had they been not in hawk endlessly to first Cerberus then Medical Properties Trust. And now there are other ones of these financial players who are part of it. Paul, you have anything you want to add? Or? The only technical thing, I mean, I, John is, I agree with his description completely. And, and, and remember that, you know, Cerberus and Ralph both cashed out dividends along the way. And Ralph did use that to buy his yachts. Technically, I guess the airplanes are owned by Stuart as a company rather than Ralph himself. But uh, the fact that... Um, in some ways, all three have sort of fed on each other to help uh, at times enrich in some and at other times create the mess we're facing today, I, I think, uh, you know, is a sad reality of, of what we've tried to describe so far. The way you described it, John, you see a lot of this in the business world where there's ups, there's downs, but there's it's all sort of in making the deals. And then, as you say, COVID hits and they can't keep the money coming in to keep the deals coming. And that's not an uncommon scenario in the business world. And I think in the hospital world, though, how did other hospitals fare with that period when they couldn't get all the surgeries and everything going on? Did they lose their shirts or what, what happened to them? There's an immense amount of uh, financial money that came in from the federal government under the uh, so-called American Rescue Plan Act and other measures to help hospitals tide over through the crisis. The problem for Steward is that they had so highly leveraged themselves and loaded themselves to the gills with debt that they found themselves particularly financially vulnerable relative to their peers in the industry and even relative to their for-profit peers. I mean, they lost over 400 million that year, and that's after including the 400 million or plus that they got from the government. So they really, they really took it on the chin. And they weren't the only ones. There were some other net losers, and it tended to be the haves, not only in Massachusetts but around the country, that you know the wealthier hospitals 
did much better than the poor ones. Uh, you know, and Stuart is amongst those that owns hospitals that that really are more challenged in, in terms of uh, at least being high government payers of Medicare and Medicaid rather than the wealthy commercial patients. All right, so let's transition a little bit to present day here. So I meant what I said at the beginning. We don't, I mean, you guys have a lot of a wealth of information, but it's sort of piecing it together from different sources and what you've been able to gather. Um, it's sort of shocking that the company hasn't been very forthcoming. And I got to say, the governor, who's been, her administration has been talking to them for months, you know, didn't blow the whistle, didn't raise concerns before it, it broke in the globe. And she hasn't sort of stepped forward to say, here's what we know and here's what we don't know, because this is a pretty big deal for the state. Is it just the fact that still no one really knows what's going on? Or is there a, a sort of effort to keep it quiet while they work out some deal behind the scenes? Paul, why don't you start this one? Right. Well, you, you know, the it, it's been pulling teeth to get audited financials out of Stewart. In fact, it wasn't until 2022 when they produced audited financials through the end of 2020. Why they produced them? Not because they wanted to, but because MPT under SEC regulation requirements on them led to forcing Stewart to put those forward. What did it show? It showed Stewart had a negative net worth of $1.5 billion by the end of 2020, plus it had all these additional lease payments. To our knowledge, though, absent that kind of publication where, the, where in some cases through the SEC process, they really haven't put together audit financials. And even as they talk about, you know, what's going on, at least when Stewart talks about it, we never get any details. The only things we tend to learn actually is MPT, either in its SEC required press releases, or I was listening to an earnings call this week, for example, where we learned maybe when, when, when Stuart a few weeks ago made reference to getting some additional bridge financing, MPT seemed to describe they and another lender giving Stuart an additional $75 million now. So we want to wonder out loud, is that the bridge financing that Stuart's alluding to? But there really isn't, whether it's our state government or Stuart or the tidbits we get from MPT, we really don't have a very clear picture. John, you and Paul have written some articles that sort of say the state really needs to step up here. Sum up what you guys are calling for. Well, we're in a crisis. Uh, we have a system that may very well be on the verge of collapse with problems and difficulties arising for patients, for workers, for communities that rely on those institutions. Um, and it can also be a body blow to the overall Massachusetts hospital and healthcare system as certain institutions fall out of use and the load falls on other already uh, too busy institutions that don't have enough capacity. So there are real issues here and consequences. And at the same time, um, there has not been a significant amount of transparency. I, I thought the uh, governor's statement earlier this week um, asking Stewart to just leave was appropriate. Um, and, and at the same time, we don't have a sense of what the vision is of the state here. You know, it is possible that we end up with a far worse system. Uh, and it's also possible, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Every crisis is also an opportunity. We have seen a degradation in this system over recent years because of Stewart and other for-profit behavior and other kinds of monopolistic practices. We've seen some real serious problems develop in this system. 
And so the question is, could this crisis be a way to try to bring some better regionalization and sharing the responsibility and the growth opportunities, not of Mass General Brigham and Beth Israel Leahy, but of kind of the second tier players, the Boston Medical Centers, the UMass Medical, uh, South Shore Hospital, uh, Lowell General, Lawrence General, I'm sorry, who in fact could play a meaningful role in, in creating a health system that starts to get rationalized. And, and, and this just quickly goes to a larger point, which is that there has been no comprehensive health planning for the Massachusetts healthcare system since the late 1980s, early 1990s. Uh, we made a decision as a state in 1991 under Governor Bill Weld that we were gonna let the market work this out. The free market was gonna do it because that was the trend across the nation. And so we just haven't had anyone really at the wheel guiding the system in a serious way. And this is an opportunity, perhaps this crisis puts out the message to say, we really need to get some of that back. What's that important to be Judd talked about the hospital part. You know, MPT had says publicly that Stewart is out shopping both its hospitals and its physician group, okay? And um, on the physician group side, which is actually the, the valuable asset that Stewart has, much more so than its hospitals, which, which lose money, John and I also wrote earlier th this week that we don't see it as a, a, a victory if that's just taken over by somebody who's a for-profit, whose main desire is not mission-oriented, but maximizing you know, their return. And that leads to potentially both higher prices. It creates problems for some of the other nonprofit providers as that for-profit company might take some of the you know, uh, infusion services, imaging services, things that our local community hospitals make some margin on or 340B kind of drug sales pulls that in, for example. So, so the physician group sale, which, is, which Stuart is also announced planning to do or they use the term managed care which includes the managed care business associated with that physician group uh is also of consequence and, and that's why john and i wrote about that earlier this week. So, so paul is too polite i'll be less polite <laughs> the fear comes from the largest insurance company in north america united healthcare out of minnesota uh one of their fastest growing parts is called optum uh, which is a national system of physicians and physician practices and clinics that they own. They really broke into the Massachusetts market in 2018 when they bought the formerly nonprofit Reliant Healthcare System in Central Mass. And then in 2022, just a couple of years ago, they purchased Atrius, the former Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates. And now uh, many people are telling us knowledgeably that Optum is one of the big bidders for the steward physicians network. If that happens, then the ability to take the steward hospital network and rationalize it and spread it out and potentially get some additional federal dollars through the uh, special uh, federal sources for disproportionate share hospitals um, is far less feasible and likely to happen. So there's a lot on the stake right now. If, if Optum gets Stewards Physician Network, I think the knowledgeable people all agree that's going to be a big step back in terms of really trying to take this crisis and put us at the end of the day in a stronger, better, 
more patient-centered, community-centered position. I think you guys have said that these steward hospitals, almost every one of them is in financial trouble, right? Uh, some people suggest they're paying extortionate uh, leases, prices to uh, medical properties trust. Uh, but others say they're just money losing hospitals. So if, if they're shopping it and they want to sell it, and so they're sharing financial information about these. They're hospitals. taking bids. They're taking bids. So you're sort of saying how you'd like it to come out, but obviously the numbers will dictate who can take on what and absorb those costs. How how do you how do you deal with that? Well, let me let me take that one out. Um, first of all, not all the Stuart hospitals are losing money. One or two of them, like St. Anne's, I believe in particular, has, has tended to remain profitable. But you know, one of the things was first of all is do we need all of those acute care hospitals open as acute care hospitals going forward? You know, in other words, if if they're not making it as a group, you know, should one or two of them not remain? you know, open it in that form, maybe become a behavioral health provider or an ambulatory care site, et cetera. But the second thing though is it's not clear to us. Well, what is clear to us, I should start with is there's no way anybody can take them on, take the lease payment levels that Stuart negotiated and make a successful go at it. So either those lease payments need to go away completely. We can talk about some scenarios to make that happen or at least significantly reduced okay and then if they are significantly reduced the hope would be that some of the nonprofit providers that john noted and in, in some cases with state support at least initially could take them over and try to run them you know and, and get to break even or better i think that remains you know an open question and it, it certainly it, it wouldn't work uh unless you deal with the underlying lease payment challenge so it if I'm looking at the Healy administration right now, they've got a major crisis in the transportation sector, and they're trying to figure out how to raise money for that. They've got a housing initiative that is allegedly the governor's top priority. And now, just like any administration, they've got a new problem thrust into their laps. You guys are sort of talking they should move in in a big way and help reshape the healthcare system. Can the Healy folks do that? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they can't do it, but that's a lot of balls in the air at the same time with revenues sort of shaky right at the moment, tax revenues, that is. We know that there are possibilities to try to do this in a way that actually can bring additional new federal revenues into the state that can be used to help be a foundation for something. And then there are a lot of creative financing opportunities around the state. They're very smart. We have very, very smart people in the state who knew to do it. And maybe there is a need for some new state money to try to do this. But I think part of the challenge is to get people to look ahead 10, 15, 20 years. And 10, 15, 20 years, we'd like people to look back on this crisis, on this episode here and say, wow, they really were thoughtful about what they did. And they really did everything they could to try to put us in a place where 10, 15 years down the road, we would actually have a stronger, more functional healthcare system that wasn't siphoning hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in surplus revenues to Wall Street financiers. I mean, there's, there's a loss here. So if there's a deal where in the deal, Medical Properties Trust and Ralph et al. Stewart and the other parties that are involved 
have to walk away with sacks full of cash, that's much worse than keeping those resources inside the state, inside the system. So quite honestly, and, and, and Governor Healy referred to this herself, if they go bankrupt, MPT and Stewart out of this, uh, I shed no tears on that. They will richly have deserved this fate. And actually, you know, the truth is that's just part of the game of private equity. That's how this works. And, uh, and, and what we have right now in Massachusetts, ironically, for the nation is we have a new poster child of private equity, and his name is Dr. Ralph Delatore. So if we're looking for a, what can you say, forgive the expression, a snidely whiplash, I'm dating myself here, for representing this scandal to the public, it's Ralph with his jets and his yachts and the amazing money that he has taken out of this that is just reprehensible behavior. And so we need, we need to kind of clean the deck on this and, and, and have a little bit of a start over. And you know these wealthy people who have abused this system, I, I hope they come out of this with nothing. Let me, give, let me add this vision. And you know, somebody called this a hallucination, but, I, but, but hopefully not. I mean, what John Morla is saying is it isn't only enough for Stewart to go, but we'd like to see MPT go as well, which means how does that happen? Somebody buys the properties from them. Now, none of those, those smaller nonprofits we talked about can afford to do that, who can in our state, our uh, entities like MGB, Children's Hospital, together they have close to $25 billion in debt assets. My, my vision would be that somehow the two of them do a joint venture, buy out MPT as cheaply as possible, but not to hold the properties and run hospitals themselves. As John alluded to, we want that in theory to be done by some of our you know, other nonprofits, but perhaps uh, write low interest mortgages to those nonprofits in an affordable way so they can buy the building, let's say over 30 years. And with that, try to make a go at it. Now, you know, that if, if that vision isn't a hallucination or come real, it's probably a very, the most significant community benefit that we can imagine MGB or children's doing. Uh, but, you know, that is the sort of longer term thinking that in some ways, whether, you know, in that case, that's a private way of getting there. Or, or somehow the state's leading something in a similar or, or consistent direction to, to make out of, out of really what this, this short-term, hopefully only short-term, but certainly potentially very significant uh, healthcare event to make something good out of it for our system. John, I'll give you just the last word here on, on something. What would you like to see Governor Healy do? I mean, she's been sort of threatening a little bit, demanding information. Uh, is it time to sort of step up and say what she knows about this situation and what she would like to see happen? Or is that should she keep her cards close to the vest? Well, I would prefer to see putting as many cards on the table as possible. And I imagine there are concerns and issues and considerations that may hold back on that, but they're not sharing what they are. So I would say let's have as much information as possible for the public because it's been going on now for a while. There's a lot at stake. A lot of people are seriously distressed and concerned and worried about what's going to happen. So like to see that happen and, and see more affirmative direction. The other piece I think is frankly, I think the Commonwealth should uh, do what it can to close the door 
on private equity capital coming into Massachusetts health and hospital and human services system as well. There's a story in The Atlantic just uh, earlier this week on private equity is now attempting to invade the market for childcare services. Um, they're already in hospice. They're already in autism rehabilitation. So, I mean, there's, there's not a place that they won't go. And they are quite blatant about it in kind of, I guess you could say a refreshing way. They are here to make as much money as possible for the owners, and that's it. Mm. And so I think that there's a need, and, and, and other states are doing the same thing. There's, there's a grassroots physician movement across the country right now called Take Medicine Back, which is grassroots physicians all over the nation, and their number one target is private equity in the healthcare system. So there's a revolt, and it's a national revolt. And it's not hypothetical. It's based upon people's real lived experience working in and for private equity in these vulnerable professions and the devastating consequences that come out of it while the private equity owners laugh all the way to the bank. Well, that was a very interesting discussion. Uh, and I can't wait to now with that understanding to see what happens next. So I want to thank John McDonough of the T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard and Paul Hattis of the Lown Institute. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week.